You've been sold the idea that financial independence is all about some number on your account statement. Or even worse, that you don't qualify because of where you started out. That's just not true. It's not about some well-kept secret of the wealthy. It's about finding the right information and knowing how to apply it. On the Get Ready for the Future show, we're answering your questions so you can start making real financial change today. The journey to true financial independence begins right here, and it starts with you. Come to you from the sixth floor of Three Financial Center in West Little Rock, Arkansas. Glad to have you for another edition of the Get Ready for the Future show, helping our clients at Gen Wealth achieve and maintain financial independence. My name is Scott Inman, John Shrewsbury to my right as we get started answering your questions on today's show. And I can't help but pause real quickly, John, and uh, recognize today as we uh, broadcast this or live stream this in preparation for the podcast and radio, it is May 31st. We are almost five full months into 2023. Unreal. And as, uh, if you subscribe to the Fastest Four Minutes in Finance my take on the economy is we still don't know, even after five months of 2023, <laughs> which way the economy is headed. I there is uh, I am in the camp of no recession. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are more and more people coming on board with that. Yeah. I think that we were kind of in that lone wolf kind of stage early on in this, but I just don't see that the consumer spending is, is incredibly strong, and the consumers have always pulled the economy through, even when there is you know, political unrest or whether there is uncertainty in the markets or anything of that nature, consumer spending has always been the thing that kind of kept the economy going and it's doing so in 2023. And as we always say, it is not the economy that matters, but your economy that matters. And we'll talk about that in the fastest four minutes in finance. If you don't subscribe to that, there's a quick way to do that. 501-381-5228 is the number to text the word FAST to. You can also go to our website, getreadyforthefuture.com, look under our shows and see Fastest Four there and just enter your email address. What is the Fastest Four? Well, it is uh, part of our radio broadcast, but it is also delivered via video uh, or via email in a video format directly to you every Friday morning. So find out what's going on in the markets, the economy, and all things finance-related every Friday morning. And, Scott, I will say, and I can say this because I don't have anything to do with the Fastest Four in in terms of production, and this is really all a Scott Inman production, but it really is an incredible resource. If you are uh, needing something quick and timely to just kind of get caught up on what's going on in the world, what's going on in finance, if it's important, Scott's going to talk about it. It is a great resource that will not clutter up your inbox. Mm-hmm. It will help you to stay uncluttered as far as information is concerned about uh, the markets, the economy, your investments, and your retirement. Our marketing team does a great job with the production on that, too. It's not just the Scott Inman production. <laughs> Back to, I don't produce anything. Oh, well, <laughs> Except maybe the content, right? You, you produce the content. It's yeah. good stuff. So that number we mentioned to get you subscribed to The Fastest Four is also a number you can use to ask us a question. 501 381 Eight, you can ask it with a voicemail question, or you can ask it with a text. And you can also send an email to show at getreadyforthefuture.com. That's what the Get Ready for the Future show is all about, uh, answering your questions, whatever is on your mind. So let's dive right in with our first question today. It's from Keith in Little Rock, and he writes to us, I'm 56. While I don't plan to retire soon, I know I'm only getting older and closer to retirement. How can I optimize my portfolio for income and growth while managing 
risk. All right, well, thanks, Keith, for that question. So he's getting he's getting closer to retirement, doesn't plan to retire soon, and he wants to optimize his portfolio. And he mentions the word income and growth. So I think an education point here first to start, John, is just the difference. And, and we don't, we're not for sure, because we haven't talked to Keith, what he means by this, but the way he, he phrases this, we don't mean income from the standpoint of withdrawing money from the portfolio, right? Right. When you're, when you're in retirement and you have a, an income plan, you are pulling money out of a portfolio. So we, we're assuming that Keith's not thinking about this, especially if he's 56 being, right. and he has retirement accounts. It's really about investment objective, right? So it's about income versus growth and the complement between the two. So let's get into that, John. What's the difference between income and growth? Well, and if you're thinking about growth, think about a sports car. And, and you know, it's built for speed. It's really something that, that you, you, know, what you expect the accelerator to be down all the time. And it's go, go, go. Growth companies are like that. They are reinvesting the profits of those companies back into the company so they can fuel that growth. A growth and income company or a company that is kind of in a, a, a more staid approach to things is a company that is going to take a lot of the profit and distribute it to the shareholders through a dividend. And their growth is going to be forward, but it's going to be much more of a, a steady pace as opposed to an accelerated pace. And so growth and income companies tend to be, to some extent, as a general rule, uh, much less aggressive in terms of risk than a growth company is. And so obviously, when you are headed toward retirement, you are wanting to think about risk in a different way. And here at GenWealth, we don't really look at this from a standpoint of, uh, do I invest in growth stocks or do I invest in growth and income stocks? We look at it from a strategic standpoint, Scott, and we call that our bucketing strategy. It is part of the GenWealth Ready to Retire process, where the bucketing strategy really does take care of a lot of the ancillary income needs that you may have above your basic living expenses. Yeah, I think the first uh, help for Keith I would offer here is if you're thinking about getting closer to retirement and what that actually means for you, maybe take the, the mindset away from what should my investment strategy be, at least not first, and think more about what should my income be. And think about planning for an income at a future date rather than just how should my portfolio be aligned. And, and when we get into that discussion, you know, I think a lot of people conceptualize retirement income per se as I'm going to live off the interest. I'm going to live off the dividends of those income uh, equities. And basically just whatever I get, whatever I can draw off of that, I'm going to protect the principal and that's all I'm going to do. And I'll just kind of get by with that. Right. Or the other extreme is we oftentimes talk about a just in case retirement. I'm not even going to touch any of those funds unless there's an emergency. That's the other end of the spectrum. But if you do plan to withdraw from your uh, retirement assets, that that can be the mindset and it can be done that way. But what you have to have is a pretty large portfolio. Right. A really large portfolio, I would say, and an income need that is not terribly great. Right. So if you're going to live on a small percentage uh, of your portfolio, which is what it's going to be, even in today's heightened interest rate environment, you're not really going to be able to pull and you can't count on pulling a large percent uh, and being able to protect the principal. So if you don't have a large enough portfolio, John, and you do have a sizable income need, then that's when the planning comes into play from the bucketing strategy perspective, and it requires you to sell shares 
of certain investments, but what's critical here is controlling what you sell and when you sell it. Two aspects of this that I'll point out, Scott. One is, yes, you want to sell assets to create income, but you want to sell those assets from a less volatile bucket than maybe a growth or a growth and income type situation. You want to sell something that's fairly calm, fairly staid, because what you don't want is a situation where, like we had last year, where the market had a pretty significant downturn and you were having to sell equity assets while they were down in value. So you would have to sell more shares to generate the same amount of income. That's a no-go as far as your portfolio is concerned because you can, in a protracted down market, tailspin your portfolio down to zero. And if you do that, then you have run out of money before you run out of time. Not a good equation. The other concept that you've got to think about is that, yes, there is a bucket, if you will, that you're going to pull money from for income purposes, but there is also a growth bucket that you're going to presumably leave alone for a long period of time and let it do its thing, which is grow. So if you kind of think about this counterbalancing each other and creating a bit of a stasis as far as the value of the portfolio is concerned between those two buckets, while one is being drawn down, the other is growing, offsetting that in such a way that you can create income from that stayed bucket and have your growth bucket driving the the stability of your portfolio going forward. Yeah, what kills you if you're all in growth is the volatility of that portfolio. And yep. we, we've seen that in a very short time frame, a very compact time frame just in the last couple of years, right? Remember, you talk about growth. When I think growth, I think big tech. And you think the back half of COVID year, 2020, tech took off. Growth took yeah, off because absolutely. we were all at home. 2021 was a great year. 2022 was an awful year. Right. I just saw the first five months of this year, tech's up like 25%. So it's back up, but it bounces all over the place. So you want to have a component in growth, invested in growth, even in retirement, but you're managing the risk not in what you're investing in, but how long you're leaving it alone. Those growth uh, tech stocks really do uh, uh, bring home the point that I've said long and hard about equities is never as good or as bad as you think it is. It it is always uh, almost feast or famine sometimes with equities, and you've got to have a strategy that offsets some of that that provides you stable income throughout your retirement. Our thanks to Keith from Little Rock for that question. And the next question on the Get Ready for the Future show is from Carrie in Little Rock. And it's very similar in a lot of ways. She writes, I've heard a lot about the 60-40 split and that it's a good investment mix. What are your thoughts? And how do I know how much money can I safely withdraw from my investments each year without running out of money? Well, thanks to Carrie and the 60-40 split, that is an asset allocation portfolio. We have talked about that uh, many times on the Get Ready for the Future show. So now we talked about income versus growth in the equity asset class, but now let's talk about two different asset classes. So in this 60-40 makeup, it is typically 60% equities. So it could be a mix of income and growth. It's just 60% equities and 40% fixed income or bonds. So now when we get into that managing risk component again, John, typically the fixed income component of that 60-40 split is the quote unquote safer or more stable 
part of your portfolio, but it's not always the case. No, and and I, I would really draw an analogy here, Scott. Think about an orange, and let's think about that orange with the peel removed, but maybe you slice that orange in half and take a look at it, and you see those segments. That's what an asset allocation portfolio looks at, those little wedges all put together and different variations of that. So think about a 60% wedge being equities and a 40% wedge being uh, fixed income or bonds. So if you're selling off of that 60-40 portfolio and you're just taking a pro rata uh, distribution from that, then you are uh, engaging potentially in reverse dollar cost averaging, meaning that you're going to sell those equity shares maybe at an inopportune time to create the income, just exactly what we talked about before. So what we think about in terms of that orange is not having the orange all put together in one circle, but actually folding it open and splitting it open. And, and you know, you've probably done this as a kid, Scott, is you take that orange and, and, and lay it out on the table and you've got each of those segments laid out on the table and picking up a bite-sized piece and eating it. That's essentially what a bucketing strategy does. By be, being able to consume, if you will, that fixed income part of the portfolio first, it allows those equities to grow. And that is the difference between a 60-40 portfolio and a bucketing strategy. Now, let's kind of delve into this a little bit further because Investopedia, which is a great source of basic financial information online, they say that a 60-40 portfolio no longer is keeping up with today's market environment. Now, it's really interesting here. They talk about alternative investments. Catch this. Hedge funds, commodities, private equity. Anybody a a holder of those things out there? Very few folks, right? Mm -hmm. Because those things, Scott, those types of alternative investments tend to be for high net worth people. Mm -hmm. And if you haven't had any experience, if you don't really understand how a hedge fund works or how private equity works or anything of that nature, you could be buying more trouble. And frankly, sometimes hedge funds and private equities are equities just by a different name. Yeah, and alternatives can be can have a place in someone's portfolio. Absolutely. We, we do certainly use some of those here at GenWealth. So I do think when I hear 60-40, that is a little bit restrictive. You know, it's not just two asset classes that are available to you, maybe inside of your employer plan, right? Inside of your 401k, that may be the only type of asset classes. The other thing we don't know from Carrie here is how old is she? You know, we're talking about withdrawal strategies from a 60-40 a 60-40 is typically a, a portfolio that is recommended in the past it has been uh, for people nearing or in retirement, certainly if Carrie is younger. So for the younger people listening here, if you're not planning to withdraw any money from your retirement assets anytime soon, you're trying to accumulate, you're trying to build, you want to probably be a little more aggressive than a 60-40 portfolio. And one of the main reasons, John, you want to do that is, is when you are contributing, you were talking earlier about what is known as sequence risk, when you're withdrawing money as a portfolio is losing value, you're selling more shares at a discounted rate. The reverse is true when you're putting money into your retirement savings. Yeah. And I think about it, Scott, like you, you just want to take what the market environment is going to give you. You know, you're going to get volatility in the short term from equities, from stocks, but in the long term, you know, the longer you have those equities invested, the higher the, the probability is, is that you're going to get a decent rate of return. As a matter of fact, 
there's never been a 15-year period of time in the S&P 500's history that you had a negative rate of return. You go out 25 years, the worst rate of return is somewhere in the 7 to 8% range. And so when you think about your portfolio, and even if you are approaching retirement, you've got to have a growth component to your portfolio to help keep raises going for you in retirement so you can keep up with the cost of living. So an equity portfolio is definitely something that you want to do. What we do not subscribe to, Scott, is kind of mixing those all together into one portfolio. We believe in segmenting that portfolio out into different asset classes and then rebalancing that portfolio as time goes on through waterfalling profits over into the fixed income accounts so that you can consume those. Uh, another way to think about this is almost a plant, grow, and harvest type uh, strategy where if you kind of think about what a farmer does, he plants uh, the the crop in the field, he tends to it over a long period of time, he grows it, and then he harvests that crop, puts it in the storehouse, and then consumes it at the kitchen table. That's the same type of strategy that we would look at to use equities. We want to grow them over a period of time, take the profit from that, and then consume that out of the storehouse, which would be your fixed income type component. So important, I think, to point out, too, our first two questions today on the show have been about investments, but they have been standalone questions. Investments are extremely important, and they are unique. An investment strategy is unique to you, but it only is developed through the ready-to-retire process or to uh, the accumulator phase through a plan a written plan on paper on purpose. We have to know where we're going before we can really try to place the roadmap out there on how to get there. So they're good questions, great questions, and we hope we uh, gave you some education in answering them and kind of talk through that. But the ultimate answer is, for Keith or for Kerry, it's not the 60-40, it's not the mix of income uh, versus growth that should be the first question to be asked. Everything should uh, peg off a of strategy. Yeah. If you don't have a strategy, the investments don't matter. Mm. If you do have a good strategy, then the investments will matter, but you need to have them allocated in the right way. So if you've got questions for us on the Get Ready for the Future show, you can call or text them to us at 501-381-5228 or send us an email. Just send it to show at getreadyforthefuture.com. Our next question on the show today is from Caitlin in Jonesboro. I'm 32 and was the beneficiary for my parents' accounts. They're, they've both passed away, and I'm not sure whether I should keep the accounts where they are or if I should find a new advisor. What should I consider? Well, thanks, Caitlin, and we do have Caitlin's age, so we kind of have an idea of where she is uh, in her life path, and we can get to that in just a moment. But I think the first thing right off the bat here, uh, there's some emotion involved with this, right? You're, yeah. Ka Caitlin is inheriting some money that once belonged to her parents. I think it's important to ask certain questions around that. Yeah, clearly. And and first of all, Caitlin, our condolences to you on losing your parents. That's always a, a, a tough thing to deal with from an emotional standpoint and from a financial standpoint, because now you have their assets. And I think the, one of the first questions that you probably want to ask is, okay, what would mom and dad want me to do with this money? And I think the first question, key question here, Scott, is whether it is a retirement account or retirement accounts that you are inheriting, or if it is an after-tax or a non-qualified asset that you're inheriting. Uh, Caitlin asked about whether she could keep the accounts where they are. Let's talk about that in just a second. But uh, a, a retirement account 
is going to uh, have a need for a lot of engagement with a financial advisor to understand the tax implications of what you have under Secure Act and and Secure Act 2.0. Uh, that really does come into play as a non-spouse beneficiary of that retirement account or retirement accounts, as it may be. Uh, so you're going to be able to treat that differently and need to treat that differently and account for that in your taxes uh, as opposed to a non-retirement account. Scott, a non-retirement account uh, is really one of those things that you likely got a step up in cost basis on, meaning that when your parents died, whatever the value of that account was on the date of death, the cost basis or what you are considered to be principal from a tax standpoint actually increased to the value that it was on the date of death, not the original purchase price of that asset. Yeah, so you think about the process of uh, getting those accounts into your name. Let's say it takes a month. Then, in essence, from the date of death a month later, it's your, if you were to sell those investments – there might only be a one or two or three percent gain on if some of those, if that, or there could be losses right. on that. So you have a significant opportunity to uh, reevaluate what those investments are in and whether they're appropriate for you, and by that be able to not have a serious tax consequence. However, uh, if it is in an IRA or if it was in a four hundred one k, and it has been passed on to you. Because you are the next generation, and that next generation is defined by the SECURE Act as being 10 years or younger than the decedent, then you are going to now be qualified, or required, I should say, to remove all of those assets over a 10-year period. Now, that doesn't mean you have to take them out one-tenth at a time over the next 10 years. There is going to be a process where you have to have an end date where it is all out over a 10-year time period, and that can be a significant tax burden, especially maybe not for Caitlin at 32, but you think about uh, many people passing away in their 70s and passing on their wealth to their kids who are in their 50s, who are statistically speaking in their highest earning years and what having to take out an additional uh, or uh, take out, let's say $100,000 each year over the next 10 from their parents' accounts that gets stacked on top of the income they've already earned for that tax year. So if they're in the 22% federal income tax bracket, they could jump to the next one yeah, very quickly, very yeah, easily. Very, very significantly. But let's back up for just a second, Scott. Let's talk a little bit about uh, Caitlin and what this money could mean for her. Whether it's retirement money or non-retirement money, Caitlin has some opportunities here at 32. And we don't know the amount of money that is involved here. But even with a small amount of money at 32, this could set you up, Caitlin, for your path to financial independence. And we talk about financial independence all the time here at the Get Ready for the Future show and at Wealth Financial Advisors because it is our prime objective for our clients. We want you to be financially independent. What does that mean? It means that work is optional. You don't have to work because you don't, uh, because you don't have the need for that income coming in because you can live from your assets. That is something that with the right advice you can get to. Now, with that small commercial about financial independence, let's talk about how Caitlin could potentially get there. Caitlin, let's say that you have $50,000 coming from your parents. And let's assume for right now that you don't have any tax that's due on this money. Maybe it's an after-tax uh, account. At 32, if you invested that $50,000 
in the S&P 500 rate of return, let's say long-term 10% rate of return, that would grow to $800,000 roughly at age 62. Now, Scott, let me make sure that the compliance people are all happy. Mm -hmm. 10% is not a guaranteed rate of return. That is the average long-term rate of return of the S&P 500 in a general sense. That is not any particular account, and you can't directly invest in the S&P 500. So what we're talking about here is very hypothetical. But it is uh, the way that equities can work for you potentially if you think about what you're trying to do here. And your objective should be, I would think, to fulfill the wishes of your parents. And if your parents want you to be financially independent or wanted you to be financially secure, then investing this money and leaving it alone for a long period of time could pay huge dividends for you as time goes on. Uh, I think as far as where the money is at right now, I think the question that I would ask Caitlin is, do you have an advisor of your own? If that's the case, then move the money to that advisor. If you don't have an advisor of your own, then I would suggest that you go ahead and seek out an advisor. The advisor that your parents used may or may not be the right fit for you. There's a lot of things that we could get into, Scott, as far as working Mm -hmm. with an advisor is concerned, but you have to be able to like that person, trust that person, and believe that person. If you can do those three things, then you've got a relationship that you can have for an extended period of time with that advisor, and they can help you with that goal of getting to financial independence. Yeah, and I think location matters some, too. We don't know if uh, Caitlin's parents lived in another state. Uh, that right. that can be a little bit of um, a barrier. It doesn't mean it has to be, but if you can't meet that advisor face-to-face and with technology the way it is now, that, that likely can't happen. But I also don't know if uh, their advisor was a large uh, company. You know, you think about these large companies where we've had clients come in many times when they've moved their money uh, to management here at GenWealth, and they they talk about every time I have to call the 800 number, I get a different advisor. I don't even get the same person twice, and that can be frustrating. So it's all about what is important to you, and if it's important to you to meet face-to-face and know you can get your advisor on the phone when you call, uh, maybe it maybe it would be worth looking into getting your own advisor and moving those assets. I think, too, one thing, I'll just to finish up on this question, we've got one more before the show ends. We actually did have uh, a 32-year-old uh, young lady uh, come to us, now not through inheriting assets, but she had a large lump sum that she was trying to figure out what to do with because she had been bought out. She had been part of a uh, startup company and owned some equity ownership in that and was bought out. Uh, and received a pretty large lump sum, and it was a great opportunity at 32 years old. You know, you talked about the market, the potential and growth of the market by putting that money away, but we also worked through with her dividing up her goals. We talk about financial independence. That right. I think that's for everybody. I mean, everybody someday wants to achieve that, and if you are 32 and you've inherited a, a, large, a large sum or you've received a large sum, of money, that is a golden opportunity. And as John pointed out, it doesn't even have to be that large. If you have $50,000, see what it could do over time. What is your long-term goal? What are your intermediate goals? We ask uh, our client that too. Do you have a desire to build a house someday and need a down payment for that house? If you have a, a, a second property you'd like to buy in the near future, and by near future in these terms, intermediate would be you know, five to 10 to 15 years away? And do you have immediate goals? And I've kind of walked backwards through the order of this. The immediate goal would probably need to 
be addressed first, and it was with this client that I'm speaking of. She had some debt. She wanted to get rid of some debt. Be debt-free at 32 years old. How about that? Yeah. And an emergency fund, a cash reserve emergency fund to be able to prepare for what life throws your way over the next few years. So immediate, intermediate, and long-term goals, if you have a lump sum, those are the, that's the order I would think about uh, in, in developing a plan, and certainly a Gen Wealth advisor can help you uh, do that. Scott, I think when we talk about the fact that financial independence begins here, it's not necessarily here at Gen Wealth, but it is really here in your mind. Uh, you've got to have that vision or that goal of being financially independent. And it's a long goal. It's a long-term goal. But I will tell you that it's, it's shorter than never. <laughs> and just yeah. think about that. Yeah. It is shorter than never. You've got to think about how is it that I am going to live when I am no longer able to work or wherein I don't want to work. Not that you're not able to. Uh, nothing says you have to work all of your life. A lot of people have kind of resigned themselves to the fact that I'm going to work till I die. Yeah. Well, I think that's just a cop out for not being disciplined and, and really uh, mindful enough to really engage in the planning process yeah. and that's really how this really shows up and i think also it's a lack of purpose on the back end of that right you know right. You, you, it's hard to think about if you you know maybe you enjoy your job maybe you really don't even enjoy your job you just it's all you know right mm -hmm. and you don't know uh what life could look like but think about that for a little bit allow yourself to dream and, and maybe you're not 32 maybe you're 62 whoever is listening and needs to hear this financial independence can become a reality for you but not without planning for it all right, we've got one more question we're going to squeeze in here, and we're, we're swerving big time. We've talked investments. Uh, we've talked about uh, what to do with an inherited sum of money. Jerry from Cabot is asking us today, what is FDIC insurance, and is my money safe in the bank? Boy, I can imagine what headlines that Jerry has been reading. Wow. We've been reading yeah. them, too, and it can be scary to hear about banks failing uh, and that, of course, has been in the headlines recently. So, John, let's dive in. FDIC insurance. FDIC insurance is the insurance program that the federal government has for uh, protecting the wealth of people who have savings at local banks. Now, this has kind of gotten a little bit distorted, a little bit skewed, and I'm going to rant just a little bit on this because FDIC insurance limit is $250,000 unless you're a hedge fund manager or you are a private equity person that had a lot of money in Silicon Valley Bank, and then they just went, you know what, that $250,000 doesn't mean anything. We're just going to protect everybody that was in that bank. Now, the cynical person in me will say that that's because those people who are the venture capitalists in Silicon Valley uh, write big checks to politicians, and that's how they got their you know, $10 million that they had in Silicon Valley Bank protected and everybody got fulfilled even prince harry and and uh yeah uh megan markle got mm -hmm. got their money back so uh, you know uh, this has been distorted a little bit but fdic insurance is a program that does insure the assets that you have at a bank ostensibly up to two hundred fifty thousand dollar, or maybe a for a married couple five hundred thousand dollar limit now is your money safe at the bank Yes, your money is safe at the bank as long as we all don't get stupid and go down there and want our money today. Mm. The bank can't come up with all of your money today. And as I said uh, during our, our pre-show prep on this, Scott, this is when uh, as long as the music's playing and everybody's walking around the, the chairs, everything's good. But when the music stops, the person with a chair uh, without a chair is out. And that's what happens when you have a bank run 
like yep. you had at Silicon Valley Bank. It's a liquidity issue. That, yes, it that, is. That's what happened to Silicon Bank is they did not have the liquidity because they had their money tied up in uh, long-term, in investment. long-term investments, including fixed income investments, which, by the way, had lost value because the interest rates had gone up. That's and right. so they were going to be forced to sell. Uh, at a loss to be able to provide that liquidity to their customers. And that's when the federal government stepped in. Scott, this has all kind of calmed down since Silicon Valley Bank uh, cropped up. But one of the concerns that I had was that that was a mismanagement of assets by a specific bank. And there were a couple of others that cropped up like this around that. It did not have anything to do with the integrity of the overall banking system, but I was hopeful that people would understand and hear that because we didn't need people going down to the local bank here in Arkansas going, I got to take my money out because you guys aren't safe. They're totally safe. They are 100% really good with what they're doing, but any bank anywhere is not going to be able to meet the demand of all of their depositors on a particular day or a particular week. Yeah, one of the things when I was doing some reading on that back when it happened uh, that really made me feel pretty good was the cash reserves, the percentage that the large banks in this country have in cash reserves and how... I don't remember the exact percentages, but it was uh, incredibly higher than it was during the 2008 financial crisis. So banks have learned, big banks, most banks have learned their lesson and they have cash reserves on the sidelines to meet liquidity needs. But of course, obviously, John, that could be, as you mentioned, challenged if we all went down to the bank and uh, wanted our money at the same time. But short answer for Jerry, uh, your money's safe in the bank. That's right. With FDIC insurance. You heard the bell there. Time for our Uh, Closing thoughts. We had a lot today in the show. John, what's your closing thought? Well, you know, Scott, as I look back on on the questions that that our folks have asked today, I think that the number one thing, if you are thinking about retirement, if you are thinking about, okay, I really need to start getting my ducks in a row. You may not even know where your ducks are. That's okay. You got to get a strategy together of what it is that you're going to do. And I think a conversation with an advisor, sitting down with that advisor and just relating to that advisor, the things that are going on in your life, that advisor should be a great listener uh, and and very little information coming back to you initially, at least, because they need to understand your situation in that first meeting. Now, when you get back together, that advisor should come to you and give you a lot of information about the strategy that they would employ, not just the investments, but the strategy that they would employ how they would do certain things with your money, not what it would necessarily be invested in. Then you know that you're really beginning to make some progress. And Scott, I think that that from a planning standpoint, that is a great opportunity for a lot of people. Yeah, and I I think about all the questions today, John, and think about uh, how complex this issue is of money. Uh, You think about the questions about how do I invest as I get closer to retirement? Should I do a 60-40 because I've heard that's a, a good investment mix? I've, in, I've inherited some money uh, thinking about how it's going to be taxed depending on what type of account it is and worried about the banks. All of these complex issues, uh, an advisor can definitely help you walk through that. And you can get seven steps to financial independence by texting the word STEPS to 501-381-5228. Visit GetReadyForTheFuture.com forward slash steps or email us show at GetReadyForTheFuture.com. That is all the time we have. For this week's Get Ready for the Future show, thanks to all the people who sent in questions. Get your question to us at 501-381-5228. We'll talk to you next time. 
Thank you for listening to the Get Ready for the Future show. If you enjoy hearing from the Gen Wealth team every week, make sure and subscribe to the podcast. And if you want to help us get the word out on building towards financial independence, leave us a rating and review. The Gen Wealth Financial Team is available to you 24-7 at info at getreadyforthefuture.com or call our offices at 866-653-PLAN. That's 866-653-7526. You should personally consult a financial advisor before making any investment and no strategy can assure success. Securities offered through LPL Financial. Member FINRA SIPC. Investment advice offered through Independent Advisor Alliance. Independent Advisor Alliance and GenWealth Financial Advisors are separate entities from LPL Financial.